Hello, friends. Hello, 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 friends. A tradition unlike any other. Oh, 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 my goodness. In your life have you seen anything like that? There it is. Adam Scott, a life changer. Mashed potato. Hear it, hear it, hear it. Here it comes. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 19th Tea Podcast. Drew's here with you uh, for a very, very special episode. Um, We've had some fantastic names on our podcast today, but none bigger than the man. Uh, Sitting on the other side of the world in Florida, he is a 10-time winner on the PGA Tour of Australasia. He's won all around the world, perhaps and definitely no bigger than the 1991 Open Championship. I'm talking about the legend that is Ian Baker Finch. Finchy, thanks so much for jumping on and having a chat to us. G'day, Nathan. No worries at all, mate. Um, always happy to, to be with my mates back home in Australia. Uh, really missed the place this year. I haven't had a chance to get home. Yeah, well, well, tell us about this year. It's been a it's been a whirlwind of a year um, for for everyone. Golf hasn't uh, has not been unaffected. Um, tell us a little bit about how things have gone over in the states. So, uh, you know, we see bits and pieces come out of the PGA Tour, but um, obviously things went south with the with the players being cha- uh, the players championship being cancelled, and then we had that layoff and the return to golf. It's it's been a big year, hasn't it? Yeah, it was certainly, it's, it's been a, a very different environment, you know, everywhere in the world and, and very scary and our hearts go out to everyone that's been affected, of course, uh, with with family, friends, loved ones um, and, and COVID-19 has been terrible. For the PGA Tour and for golf in general, it's a sport that can be played outdoors in a safe environment. So golf in general is booming around the world, 20, 25% or so up every country that you look at in participation, memberships, uh, hard to get a lesson, hard to call the pro at your local club and, and get a lesson even. It's people are, are wanting to join and realise that kind of like cycling or running on the beach or anything that you can get out and, and do your own thing in a safe environment. So golf has, in general has benefited uh, in a big way. With the tour, they had that, as you said, we stopped in March um, we shut down. Everyone waited to see how this was all going to work out. No one really knows even now. We've got vaccines coming out. Hopefully, we create this uh, a safer environment over the next six months. But with golf, they decided that, hey, if we don't have fans, we can monitor the amount of volunteers. We can monitor the amount of television people, uh, tournament staff, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, players, caddies. We can really keep them all in a bubble. And we started back in mid-June. Uh, CBS, the company I work for over here, we covered all of the golf tournaments from the Colonial, the Charles Schwab Challenge, it was called in in Texas, Fort Worth, Texas. We covered from there all the way through uh, till the end of um, August when the playoffs were all started. Um, so we didn't have one one person at CBS test positive mm-hmm. throughout that entire uh, three month period, which was really good. There was uh, 12 players and caddies that tested over that period of time, um, which was pretty good when you consider there's you know 500,000 people or whatever on, on site each week. Some of them were, were negatives after a while, so that's you know, false positives, if you will. So in general, I think the tour over here did a really good job of, of safely getting back out on the golf course 
uh, CBS did a great job of covering it. I, you know, obviously I'm biased, but it was it was not an easy task. But I think it was seamless, and people listening in and watching around the world would never have known it was any different to normal. And then, of course, you know, we come back and I just did the Masters in November. So, uh, you know, we were up in Augusta, Georgia, out on my tower uh, and the golf course without fans. It was kind of surreal. But in general, it, we created a, a very safe bubble and environment and, uh, you know, brought golf on television to, uh, to the world, um, wanting some sort of sense of normalcy in a tough year. The, the Masters is one that intrigued everyone. Uh, I think, you know, there were many people um, who were a little sceptical of how it might play uh, this year. Um, obviously, the, the course was very different. Um, I think in one thing that we unpacked in our review was the fact that given there were no fans there, you were able to see so much more of the course uh, through the television and that you were able to see the contours and, and the elevation changes, which kind of blew me away not having been there personally. I suppose, how different was it for you? I suppose you come back and, and you've got Charles Schwab, which is a great tournament in itself, but it's not the Masters. How different was going to Augusta this year for, for someone who's spent a, a large majority of their life at, on the hallowed grounds? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it, I agree 100% with you, Nathan, that the view for the fans on television must have been very special uh, this year in comparison to years past because they could see the entire golf course. They could see the terrain. They could see the beauty. Uh, obviously, it wasn't as beautiful as we get to see it in springtime in April every year because of the azaleas and the flowering dogwoods, et cetera, et cetera. But the course is just spectacular and the views um, rewarding the viewers were something very special if you look down from the 18th green or the 9th green down the valley over two and three and seven down you can see all the way down into the the lake in front of 16 green mm -hmm. um, you can walk around amen corner without all of those thousands of fans behind 12t and see the, the, the beauty of, of Ray's Creek and, and that uh, hallowed ground, if you will. So, yeah, it was, it was different for me in, in a good way because I didn't have to fight the crowds. There wasn't so much going on. I could get, get on the course and out of the compound and out on my tower so much easier. And I think realistically, the players kind of enjoy it as well. Mm. As much as some players say, hey, I really miss the fans, in general, they kind of like being uh, harassed a little less, mm -hmm. um, a little, a little bit less under the looking glass all the time. You know, just being able to go out and do what they do so well. So yes, they miss a bit of the energy from the crowds, but I think a lot of players, if they were a hundred percent honest with you, or if they were able to be, they would say, you know, I'm, I, I kind of like just being out there with me and my caddy and, and the other guys and uh, playing the way we grew up playing. So uh, there's, there's a lot of different angles you can look at it. And I always felt the fan on television that the viewer would really appreciate this year's uh, telecast because they get to see the golf course rather than just uh, uh, fan lined fairways and mm -hmm. greens. They, they actually 
you know, get to see what we present. So I think television in, in general, the producers uh, did a fantastic job of, of showing Augusta National uh, around the world, you know. To, yeah, absolutely. It was, a, it was really, the show, the show was great, wasn't it? Oh, it was. It was really cool. And, you know, I think I'll look back at it and I go, well, I've seen it now. I kind of want to, I want to see it go back to, to its, um, to what it was normally. And, and fortunately we'll get that again in a couple of months, which is quite incredible to, to think that we're going to be, um, at Augusta national in, um, just over three and a bit months, four months. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Yeah. Very, first, very week of, first week of, first week of, April. Very exciting. And you know, it's a great time for the players to be in good form because mm. they're yes. going to have, um, you know, six majors in like a a twelve month period from from the August PGA Championship through till, uh, you know, that we're going to have six majors, the Players Championship, and the Olympics mm. all in a twelve month period. So it's going to be a great time for guys in good form. Say Dustin Johnson, who's number one in the world right now. Uh, it's, it's exciting times for them. How how many of those six do you reckon Dustin Johnson can win? I think he can win half of them. I think he's the best in the world when he's on. I think he wins by 10. He's like mm-hmm. Tiger. You know, when Tiger was really on, he won by 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rory was the same way when he was on. He won a couple of majors by 8 and 10. Uh, Jason Day is capable of winning by a long way when he's really on. Um John Rahm, I think, is is one of the top five contenders and will be for another decade. But Dustin Johnson, when he when he is really on, like he shot thirty under par at that tournament in Boston. <laughs> um, he won by ten, and then the guy that was Harris English was second. He he was like five in front of third. Yeah, it was ridiculous how well he plays. So. Uh, we we yeah, had a he, conversation he, about Dustin Johnson after the Masters and and sort of both agreed that post the, the Tiger Prime, he's probably the best in the world since since Tiger in his prime. He's probably the best since that that era. He the way that he plays golf and the way that as your to your point, the way that he can flick the switch and win by 10 shots on on tough courses and dominate Augusta National. Yes, it was a very different course to what we're used to seeing, but he adapted to those conditions so incredibly well. And I, I, we both personally agreed here that since then, uh, since Tiger's prime, he's, he's the best to do it. Yeah. You know, in that last few years, you've had Brooks Koepka win four. Mm-hmm. He was amazing for a couple of years. He went back-to-back in two majors, which was just you know, incredible. Uh, he's he's incredible in that he focuses around the majors and he does his best golf in the majors. But is he, when he's at his best, is he better than Dustin Johnson at his best? I'd have to say no. Rory McIlroy at his best is is like Tiger and Dustin. Um, but it's pretty hard when you look at Dustin Johnson, how good, how far, he's the best driver of the golf ball. Mm-hmm. maybe ever but certainly right now he is and uh you know when he gets the short game and the putter working no one can touch him yeah and it's the consistency that he puts together with his performances as well i mean earlier this year you know we, we he shot 80 80 at uh, at a tournament and we were uh, we sort of said what the hell is going on with Dustin johnson and then he came out and 
and went on that incredible run at the end of the year. So uh, he's um, he's a phenomenal athlete. I think that's what people forget. Yes, that, that he's an athlete. Um, I want to bring it back to Australian yep. golf, Finchie, because um, I mean it's been a tough year for for, for Aussies uh, in the golfing industry. I suppose you're closer to it than most, sitting on the on the board um, of the, the the PGA of Australia. So. With a couple of tournaments cancelled um, down here, well, a lot of tournaments cancelled. I think we saw the Northern Territory PGA Championship. There was just about every professional golfer who could get to Darwin was was up there, um, and and I think the same over the weekend up in Coffs Harbour. I think um, it was. Uh, it's been a tough year for Aussie golf, um, particularly. I mean, w- while we at the grassroots and the participation level, the sport's been booming. But for the for the pros here on the PGA Tour of Australia, it's been uh, it's been quite a tough 12 months yeah it really has and and congratulations to aaron pike uh for that win up there at, at the in northern territory i thought that was fantastic for him he's been around a long while one of the one of the best young australian players you know simi played well obviously he always does fantastic player um i i still look for simi to to come good again like he did a few years back and you know got to top 50 in the world and i think he's capable of that again mm. but yeah it's it's been hard with border closings the uncertainty um you know we we have a lot of um government funding mm-hmm. with tournament golf around the country and that's been very very hard to secure and know what's going on with that which has been a, one of the major contributing factors to cancellations of tournaments. You know, like governments just don't know what's going on. You know, are we is Queensland going to open its border? Is Victoria going to open its border? Can players get in? Do we have to have a two-week bubble? Do we – all of this sort of stuff. So in the end, it was just easier to say, okay, we're going to postpone this to next year. Uh, the best thing we've been able to do is secure – a number of playing opportunities in January, February, March for the young Australian-based players to play through the end of our season, which will now be the New South Wales Open at the end of March. Uh, I'm working on trying to get another event up and running in that third week of March, so we'll end up having a 12-event season, which isn't too bad. And in some ways, um, at least it's been all of the same players at home playing, so it'll be quite a... um, an even consistent year in that there hasn't been a lot of international players coming into play it's just been most of our aussie based players so yeah tough tough for them because it's they're independent contractors too it's hard to uh um get assistance when when you're a small business like a a golfer and i really feel for them because i i was a struggling player 40 years ago back on the tour at home and uh, I, I certainly know what it's like. So we're, we're trying to do the best we can with limited resources and, and uh, limited sponsorship money in, in a tough time, which you can expect. You know, companies that would love to be able to say, yeah, sure, I'd love to sponsor a golf tournament. They're like, well, we're trying to pay our staff. We're trying mm-hmm. to uh, look after our people, you know. So hopefully what we're setting up within the PGA and the tour and and we're now trying to re-establish that Australian summer of golf, if you will, where from the end of October through to the end of March, all of the Australian players have somewhere to play and hopefully we can get to 20 tournaments on our schedule back home. Um, so looking forward, I think 2021 
may be a really big successful year um, and it's just a shame that 20 was the way it was I, and, and I can't say any more that I, I feel for the guys that have been stuck at home and, and not too many playing opportunities but hopefully the start of next year will be a bit better and more positive and a bit stronger for them. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's been a it's been a very very tough year. We've had some some great names on the podcast this year, and uh, we we actually had Aaron Pike on uh, after his win up in Darwin there, and um, we said what sort of time and date suits for you. And his response was, "Mate, I'm an Australian golfer. I've got nothing on." So he's uh, he had plenty of time to come and chat to us. But I did I did want to ask you. How have you seen the, the the PGA Tour of Australasia and uh, change since um, since your day? Because I was going back and watching uh, some of the highlights that exist on on YouTube and Twitter and the likes, and the crowds that used to turn out to some of these events uh, were massive back in your day. And then, whereas now, when I look at even events like the Australian Open and and the Australian PGA, there there are crowds that go, but they don't seem to be quite as invested as, uh, as what they were maybe 30, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, it's a, <clears throat> it's a difficult comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll start with the positive side. Back in the day, we had uh, Greg Norman, who was number one player in the world on and off for a 10-year period. So that drove the excitement uh, we had Wayne Grady, myself, Steve Elkington, uh, Australian players win majors uh, in 1991 and 95, along with Greg in 86 and 93. We had David Graham won two majors in uh, 80 and 82. So we had a whole bunch of Australian world champions, if you will, yeah, yeah. Intermingled with all of the great players of that time, Bob Shearer, Jack Newt, Stuart Jin, Terry Gale, Graham Marsh, who won 50 times in Japan and Europe, Pete Senior, Mike Harwood, Peter Fowler, um, a whole bunch of guys. And I'm, I'm sorry if I'm missing anyone out here in this in this um, uh, quick time frame, but it's we had we had a, at one time we had 10 players in the top 75 players in the world in Australia. From Australia, mm. it was just incredible. Mm. So um, Roger Davis made it to top ten in the world. You know, we had we had so many great players. We also had tournaments that were being sponsored by big corporations out of Japan and internationally that were you know, selling golf courses and stuff in Australia that were willing to sponsor big tournaments like Sanctuary Cove, like Palm Meadows Cup. Etc. Etc. The vines over in Perth that I won one year. Mm-hmm. Um, so the PGA Tour in the USA were playing for a million dollars a week, and we were putting up a million dollars a week to play for over here. So we had some great players come and play at Sanctuary Cove. We had Ray Floyd, Nick Faldo, Curtis Strange won it. Uh, Ian Woosnam, um, Greg, of course, Arnold Palmer. You know, we had. 10 of the top 15 players in the world came and played in that tournament. But they were used to playing for a million dollars a week. Now what happens is in the US, and just a brief explanation as to why it, it's that, that excitement's dwindled, we have television, you know, 24-7 on the Golf Channel around the world. Mm-hmm. We have all of the top tournaments in Europe and the US being televised around the world. 
we have the players in the US playing for $10 million a week. We're, a one-week tournament is double our entire tour in Australia this year. Mm. We're going to play for $5 million. Every week they're playing for $10 million in the US. That's, that's the biggest difference of 30 years ago to now is that the players are off playing in the US, in Europe, in Japan, some of them doing very well. The Brendan Jones has won so many times up there. There's so many other places to play for so much Works are hesitant to uh, throw a lot of money into covering the tournaments. That it's so costly to cover a golf tournament, and of course, uh, the players are hesitant to come home to play for a couple of hundred thousand dollar prize pool um, when it's a costly trip to get back. When they could be playing for ten million where they live all year in the US, or for five million in Europe, or we're in a tough situation. We're trying to do the best we can and generate as many playing opportunities as we can for our players because our players are world-class. Mm. Even the guy that's 100th on the Australian tour, he's a world-class player. He can play any, any tour, but he's got to get on those tours. So um, it's tricky. We're, we're doing our best to try and get people to know who the Aaron Pikes and Michael Sims and the young guys back home, who they are, mm. and it make it exciting on television. I mean, I could we could do an hour podcast just on this. Yeah, it's, yeah, absolutely. It's really difficult to compete yeah. on a world stage back in Oz when sponsors aren't putting the money up. Television finds it tough. You know, they're all doing it tough themselves, and uh, we have this great crop of. Uh, tremendously talented young Australian players. We must have a hundred Australian players on international tours around the world, mm. as well as our 150 or 200 back home. Yeah, I mean, you look at how many winners we've had in 2020, or in the you know, sort of the end of 2019 into 2020 has been enormous around the world. And um, to, to your point yeah. that you were talking about there. You know that that's exactly what our podcast is about. Um, is about trying to tell those stories of those younger guys who are coming and girls who are coming through the ranks and, yeah. and encouraging people to get out and and go to the WA Open and go to the New South Wales Open and and go and walk around some of these courses that are you know can be quite difficult to get on and play. They're not they're not going to be at public courses, so go walk around the Lake Karen ups and have a look at how different they are and and watch these guys. And girls strike a ball so cleanly, so um, a big part of a big, big part of what we're we're on about here. So it's great to to hear that that resonates um, with yourself. So uh, golf participation in Australia, though, is another one that that's very interesting. Interestingly, we were talking about this before we hit the record button. That COVID has kind of seen a bit of a resurgence of in golf um, across the country. Um, there are still a few issues that that, that surround the sport um, and that we were we were talking about, particularly around Moore Park. But it, the the game at the grassroots level seems to be booming, and there seems to be a lot more people just getting out there, having a go, or or, or even just re refinding their love of the sport. Yeah, well, you can't you can't get a uh, a better sport more conducive to to good health. No. Um, and, and recreation than golf, can you really? You're, you're out in 100 hectares of open park space with 100 or 200 other people, you know, have, having a great time um, 
in the open air. You don't have to go into the clubhouse and intermingle in a crowded space. You can still be healthy in these times, these COVID times. So bike riding, um, jogging, anything to do with uh, outdoor uh, individual participation sports and health activities along with golf um, have just boomed really this year because it can't get any better, can it? It can't be more healthy. Can't be a, a better environment. Uh, walking, pushing your clubs, getting great exercise, and uh, breathing fresh air, getting some vitamin A and vitamin D. You know, uh, golf clubs have benefited. PGA professionals have benefited for those that you know where the borders have opened. Now I know the guys in Victoria struggled for a long while with. It's hard to call up and get a lesson from your local PGA professional right now. This, yeah. it's uh, everyone wants to play golf. So I'm hopeful that we at golf, at the PGA, obviously, and Golf Australia, we're amalgamating. We're trying to do everything together now. We see the big picture. We've got the uh, the women's PGA joining forces now with the PGA and PGA Tour. Uh, just the whole golf industry is becoming so much more inclusionary. You mentioned the, the ladies that, that play so well, you know, with Hannah Green winning a major and Minji Lee and Suo representing so well at the Olympics in Rio in 16 with me there. And um, just so many of the, the young girls playing world championship, world, world-class level golf, um, opening the doors for more young girls to play, for women's participation in the sport. Um, I could go on and on. It's just we're, we're really in these tough times. We're really trying to tell a positive story and moving forward, I think, with the, the unity we're creating within the PGA and Golf Australia uh, with the men and women, uh, I think we're on the right track. We're, we're moving forward in a positive fashion. We've got support from all of the top players. You know, Cam Smith, who played so well at the Masters, Mark Leishman, Jason Day, Adam spoke to Adam Scott for an hour in Switzerland um, a couple of days ago. They're all doing everything they can for the younger players, men and women back home in Australia. So we're in a good place we are. in golf, I really think. And uh, I struggle with the perception of others thinking that it's an elite, um, rich person sport when it really isn't. You, you know, we, we teach programs in schools um, to those less fortunate uh, out in the in country areas that um, really need something to sink their teeth into at, at a young age. You know, this golf is, um, is really trying to, it's community-based in, in my belief. I think they're doing a great job. I did fail to mention at the top of this um, at the top of this episode for our listeners. This is part one of the chat with Ian, uh, and we're just sort of exploring a few of the broader pieces around uh, around golf. But we are going to have part two uh, with Finchie when Kieran uh, is able to be back on deck with us. The last question I do want to throw at you before I let you go because I know you've got to run. Um, the Presidents Cup last year kind of seemed to be the catalyst, I think, for a lot of that golf participation booming. Um, I was over there at Royal Melbourne and the, the crowds were just phenomenal. Um, the, the support for the internationals, which I think can be attributed very heavily to, to Ernie Els and the way that he led that team, that kind of seems to be, the, to me, the catalyst for change in many, many ways for people 
refining their love of the game or, or getting back out there and or picking up clubs for the first time. Yeah, it was it was fantastic experience, wasn't it? I was there all week walking the guys. Uh, I wasn't a part of the team um, with Ernie and uh, and all the other assistants and, and players, obviously. But I was there with them and, and walked with them and was trying to get the crowds g'd up in support and everything everything all of us could do. It uh, it's always a special time at Royal Melbourne. It's always a special time in the Sandbelt where we've got so many truly world-class courses, you know, top 100 rated courses in the world. Royal Melbourne, Kingston Heath, Metropolitan, Victoria, just across the road. So, so many of them, I can't mention them all. But anyway, the President's Cup itself is something that uh, brings brings nationalities and golfers together. You know, we had nine different countries, nations, flags represented on our international team, uh, 10 different languages all in there in the team room with, with Ernie and, and the boys uh, uh, firing them up, ready to go and, and play against Tiger's team. really was a, a great week. Tiger played great. His team were great. They, they ended up winning by a narrow margin. But it, uh, it opened up the eyes, I think, of, of so many golf fans around Australia and certainly around the world watching about uh, our great golf and culture in Australia and our courses, but more than anything, just the sport sorry, in general. Sorry, I couldn't hear what you said. My, uh, my, sorry, my Apple Watch is talking to me. I hope that didn't come through. <laughs> but Siri, she, she listens in when she shouldn't. You know yeah. That. Um, but golf golf in general is, uh, is pretty strong around the world. You know, in, in Southeast Asia, it's going from strength to strength, as you see with our international team. And uh, I think we'll win it next time. And I really look forward to the next time it comes back to Australia. And uh, I'll certainly be there. As, as will we. The 9 T podcast will be very much represented. Finchie, that wraps up part one, mate. Thanks for, for jumping on and having a chat to us. We are going to do part two um, very shortly where we'll uh, explore more of your your career and uh, obviously chat about the incredible oh. Open Championship in 1991. So thanks for, for having a chat to us in part one and uh, we look forward to part two. No worries, Nathan.